This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. What's up, everyone? Jeff Woods here, Vice President of the One Thing Team. Boy, do I have an exciting episode for you today. You meet a a friend of mine, Jeff Hoffman. He was on the founding team of Priceline.com. He is one of the biggest thinkers that I know. And so today, you're just going to hear a conversation that he and I had. I slapped the recorder down and we go over a lot of things. But um, I'm just, I'm not even going to spoil it. You just buckle your seatbelts. You are going to love this conversation with Jeff Hoffman. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So how you been? Good. <laughs> uh, uh, traveling too much still. You just wrapped up three and a half years? Three and a half years, pretty much. Uh, the craziest was one stretch. I was in, a, in three continents in three weeks. I did a trip to Africa, came back to the U.S. Is that okay? Trip to Asia, came back to the U.S., and then a trip to South America. That kind of insanity has to stop. So this was something after our last conversation when I asked you, why are you even on the phone with me? And you told me how you felt that it was your obligation to mentor the next generation of entrepreneurs. So talk a little bit about the trip you were just on and why you were doing it and why it's so important to you. Yeah, you know, there's two reasons for that. One was just my commitment. You know, somebody said to me one day, hey, your life's been an adventure. And all I could think was that this adventure brought to you by entrepreneurship, right? It's because of the privilege of being an entrepreneur that I got to do a lot of cool things. So I wanted to give back, right? Pay that forward by saying I'll mentor other entrepreneurs and help them do whatever they're trying to do. That's one reason. But the other reason... Uh, in fact, I'll tell you something that reinforced it uh, recently. I uh, was in Israel uh, earlier this year, and I got to sit sit in the afternoon with Shimon Perez, the Israeli president. And the question was, what's a really important piece of advice, something you've learned? He's 92 now. And he said something amazing. He said, focus on the youth, and which is my thought anyway, but listen to what he said. He said, if you want to change the world, the logical thing to do is go to the people that run it right? You want to change the world, we better go talk to people to run it. And he said, but here's the problem. It's too late. They'll never change. And he said, so what you really need to do is wait for this whole generation to die off and go prepare the next generation to run the world the right way. So I fundamentally believe that as well, that there's too many people with too much mindset that will never change, but they're all drifting out of power and literally dying off. We need to prepare this whole sort of millennial slash youth generation uh, to run the world in the way we wish we had. So this is the perfect segue you're giving me. You talk 
about dreaming big, working hard, creating value. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast are early in their career or they've been in it for a bit, but they feel like they need to make a change and they just they feel stuck. They're stuck in a job that they hate and they know they want to make a change and move into entrepreneurship and start building passive income, but they're not sure how to do it. So speak to those people. What advice could you offer them? Sir, so uh, I'm glad you asked that as well because too many people, one of the misnomers is, or too many people feel like uh, when they re- read about entrepreneurship, they think they got to do something big. I got to start, I got to be Mark Zuckerberg. I got to start the next Facebook or whatever it is. And that's really, really misleading. Because people think if my first idea isn't, you know, some huge global thing that's going to change the world, I shouldn't do it. So the answer to your question is start small. Find some problem you can solve where you live. Launch some single-focused startup that addresses that issue and fixes it and go from there. You do not have to save the world on day one. You do not have to have a startup that's going to be the next Facebook. You have to find something productive you can do solving some problem you know where you live And that'll teach you the principles of entrepreneurship. So we need more people to get started by launching small companies. And again, it's not your life dream and it's not a huge dream, but it's one you can complete and learn what success feels like and learn what works and what doesn't work. And the next one will be bigger. A lot of people who I talk to often ask, where do I start? I want to build income on the side. Where do I start? And I usually say to start by identifying that customer you want to serve and then find the pain. Find the pain that your customer holds that is so deep that they're willing to open up their wallets, but also that's wide enough, though, that enough people are willing to open up their wallet that it's a viable market. And I wanted you to tell the story about the airport because you mentioned it on stage. And I'm just, it struck me so hard and I wanted other people to, to hear how this came about and how it was just so simple. You found a deep pain and went from there. Well, you know, it's about, again, you just said it right. It's about identifying a real problem that you see that that people actually care about, that lots of people care about, and that somebody would actually pay you to fix. So my first encounter of that was standing in an airport line many years ago on a busy Friday afternoon, and it took an hour to get up to the front. And I was stressing out about missing my flight anyway. When I got all the way to the front, the uh, gate agent, the ticket agent, just hit one button, print, and printed me a boarding pass. And I said... You made me wait here an hour and all you did was hit print. It took one second. And she said, well, you can't go on a plane without a boarding pass. And I said, right, but I stood there for an hour and all you did was hit print. And she said, again, you have to have a boarding pass to go on an airplane. And I said, why don't you just put the printer over there? I could have hit print. You didn't do anything special. And she said, it doesn't work that way. So at that time, I turned around and I saw all these upset faces behind me in line. And I said, am I the only one that's really annoyed that we waited an hour to get a boarding pass? And everybody groaned. And I said, just out of curiosity, uh, because that's step one is identify a problem that lots of people have. Everybody was upset. And step two is you got to try to figure out if there's a value equation. So I said, would you guys give me five bucks if I gave you a boarding pass now and you could just get out of line? And a lot of people in the line were yelling $10 and $15 and 20. And I knew right then solving this problem that causes a lot of people pain and has a value equation was a good idea. Uh, so we immediately, the next company we launched, uh, we started designing and patenting the kiosks that people get boarding passes from today. Um, it was a successful company because we solved a big problem that lots of people had that people willing, were willing to pay to get out of. And so I'm in that situation now, like we talked about earlier 
with what I'm doing with Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Sure. And you said something today that really struck a chord with me, where you said, if you really want to scale a global company, it comes down to talent. And ultimately, you have to attract and retain the right people. Who's your first person? Who's that first person that you go out to attract? Um, building your organization out. I'm, I'm starting to understand how important this is. Looking back at Jack Welsh, who's gotten this only right maybe 50% of the time, you know, I consider him to be one of the greatest hirers ever. And he still only got it right about 50% of the time. So for somebody like me, how would you recommend I start growing the skill set of attracting and retaining the right talent? Excellent. I did an event recently with Jack Welch uh, that he and I did a, a workshop like we're at today um, and talked a lot about management and people. Obviously, I, you know, he was one of my role models uh, for talent. Um, but it is the most important thing. You said it exactly right. Human capital is the scarcest form of capital. And, you know, I've always said that it's better to spend a little more time. And, you know, back <clears throat> the way I always phrase that is hire hard and manage easy. Spend a ton of time picking the right people, then leave them alone. They're smarter than you anyway, because you spend all that time finding the right people. So hiring hard and managing easy, uh, really means that you put a ton of effort. It means that it's better to have a company with six all-stars than 20 average people. I'd rather take the same money and highly pay six amazing all-stars that I really ferreted out and spent time looking for than I would 20 average people. So take your time and get those people right because that will pay you back in spades. How did you grow your skill set when it came to interviewing? You don't get taught how to do that. Are there specific questions you ask people or key things that you're looking for? At this point, I'm just, I'm just lost. That is definitely evolutionary, right? Uh, because I didn't know how to do that at all. I no, I was an engineer and I'm hiring people and I have no skill set for hiring people and no one trained me. Like I said, even if you had an HR person, um, would they hire the people that you really wanted, right? Uh, on a, on a, a brand new company with an HR person probably doesn't work either because they don't really know what you're trying to build yet. A part of it comes from experience, but a big part of it comes from asking the people that you're interviewing, which is not normal. An interview is much more of a one-way thing, right? I have a job. I have money to pay for that job. You have to convince me that I should hire you for that job. What I learned to start doing to answer your question about how to grow the skill set was I started asking the interviewees, right? The best interview you ever had. What did they ask you? The best job you ever had. How did you get hired for that job? Um, what are things, and I asked them point blank, what are things that no one ever asked you in an interview that you wish someone would ask? What are things that people always ask that you think are a waste of time? I literally was kind of comical because I literally was quizzing the interviewees too to try to get an idea from them what they think works and what doesn't. And I just told them, hey, I'm learning myself with you guys, but tell me the best interview you ever went to and why and tell me the worst and why. And I took notes. So... I think you got to make it a really interactive process and not just you getting the person to convince you that they, you should hire them. Now, a lot of people are telling me they've got big dreams, but they're not sure how to line that up with their job. I've got so many friends who've gone down the CPA path and they've been a CPA for five, six, seven years now. And they feel like even though they're not happy, if they wanted to make a change, they had to leverage their CPA. And listening to you on stage today, you talked about the importance of figuring out what that big dream is that you want to do and finding some way to align it with how you're making your money. How would you counsel the people who are listening? What advice would you give them in terms of lining up those dominoes so that every day when they get out of bed and do what they do to make a living, it's actually lining up with where they want to be? But you're right. And that's why the, the from, so now let's take it for like you said, from the employee perspective, 
uh, the most important decision you'll ever make is not what you do, it's who you do it with. But that's not what we do, right? When we are looking for a job, it's the job description, right? This is a good job. I can do this job at this company and the salary is okay to me. It's really the job, the hiring process is delivered, is is driven much more by the what you do. This is what I need to hire you to do. You're a CPA. You know how to do that. That's great. Um, what I learned the hard way over time is that don't focus on the what at all. Focus on the who, right? So if I were, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur, so I haven't really been out interviewing, but if I would, I would not be the last thing I'd ask about is tell me about this job and what you need me to do in the job description. I would be talking to the management and saying, tell me about you. What do you guys care about? What do you believe in? What are your values? What do you guys dream about? What is the definition of success for this company? Um, especially now when you get to a, you know, more of a millennial generation where they want to know that the company has any values. Are you as a company management or owner just here to get rich or are you here to make a difference? So asking those kind of questions, uh, you've got to align with people, not with companies. So I, I was... Uh, it wasn't a job I was interested in, but somebody approached me and it turns out he was trying to convince me to come work for him. He was, you know, he was pitching me. And when he did this, he basically, you know, here's what I heard, not what he said. What I heard in summary was work eight days a week, right? You go bust your butt because one day I'm going to, I want to have a boat. And I was like, that's how it came across. You want all of us to work like dogs. So one day you can sail away in your yacht. And he said, well, kind of, right? Those weren't his words. But I remember thinking that's not motivating, right? You as an interviewee, as an employer, are telling me, here's all the things, especially for, for business owners, you're telling me all the things you want me to do so that you, you own the company, not me, so that something great will happen for you. And it's not motivating. So I started thinking, wow, what do I do? And I do the same thing. I tell people, here's what I'm trying to achieve. Here's my dream. And I want you to come work at this company to help us achieve this dream. But what if that's not their dream? It's just mine. So I, I realized that what I needed to do was make sure I understood what they want. And so the very next interview I did, I asked the person, said, before I tell you about my company or what I'm trying to do here or this job, I said, tell me something, tell me your dream. What is something that you need to accomplish in your life for your life to be a success? What will you look back on and be proud of? And he said, I want to buy my mom a house in Florida. Then he told me that they grew up really poor in an Airstream trailer that was rusted out in winter. Um, and they would freeze all night and he would lay awake and dream about buying his mom a house in Florida. That was helpful. So what I did was print out a picture of a house in Florida, stick it on the wall and say, my job now is to make sure that through your career at my company, your mom gets a house in Florida. And I made that my mission too. And he understood that it was as important to me that that we got that someday he was successful enough to get his mom a house as it was to him. And that changed everything. I had employees that would just never leave and never quit because they felt like we were partners and that I cared about their goals as well. One of the things that I've started asking myself is what's the one thing that I'm going to wake up every single day and confidently say that I'm trading my life for. And somebody asked me recently, what makes my blood boil? And it was the first time that I had to really think about it, but it came down to me thinking about the education system. And I know this is a major passion of yours as well. And when I reflect back on the amount of money and time that I invested in my college education, I compare it to the actual skills that have made me successful today. I realize there's not a damn thing I learned in school that has actually contributed to my success today. And now that I have a daughter and a soon to be son, I think about 
potentially subjecting them to the same path that I went through of traditional education, I'm just not going to have it. And what's that impact that we really want to be making with the company and tie it in? And it's got to be something when I think about it that that will disrupt the education system. And like you talk about, if you want to make an effective change, you've got to go after the next generation. And so I'm wondering with all your involvement in education around the world and entrepreneurship, what would be the next best thing that we could do? You know, I'm thinking like rich dad, poor dad, what, what could we start to build where we could take the profits from this company and funnel it into a nonprofit, like a 501c3 type of setting where we're actually educating whatever that sweet spot age is. Just, just, I'm just throwing this out there and, and I, let's see where it goes. You know, I think that sweet spot age is getting younger and younger too. Uh, you know, it was a stretch first to teach things like entrepreneurship to college students, right? And then high schools got it. But as I've been visiting schools, teaching kids that they are responsible for their own future and their own career uh, is becoming, the awareness is getting younger and younger. Uh, so I think that's really great. But, you know, we used to do, now I'm talking about back in the Priceline days, we used to pick quarterly projects, right? And we would, we would ask the team to look around as a citizenship thing, look around our community and see if there's someone we could help. And every quarter, let's go out and do some charitable project to help somebody in our neighborhood, in, in our city, every month. So the answer is start small. Before we had any money, people think when I get rich, I'll give money back. No, no, no. There's You can give, you know, what do they say? Time, treasure, talent. There's lots you can give back. So I remember one time when we weren't making any money, when we had a brand new little company, I said, what do you guys want to do this quarter? We went, this was hilarious, we went Christmas caroling at nursing homes. And we brought home-baked goods. And in one of the songs, I realized we were horrible, right? We could not sing or the crap. And so I said to these, all these the senior citizen wheelchairs, I said, look, I'm sorry, we're not very good singers. And a little old lady signaled me to come over the wheelchair. And I went over and she like pulled my head closer and she goes, it's okay. We can't hear anyway. <laughs> That's amazing. So we just ate cookies and she said, everyone here is deaf. They don't, they can only see your lips moving. So don't worry about your singing, but it cost no money. We baked cookies and we drove from nursing home to nursing home and did something in our community to try to make some contribution. You can start small, but finding projects you can do locally really gets people in the, in the sort of mode of doing that. What are the skills that the children of today need to learn so that they can accomplish their goals? Oh, no, that's a great question. That, that's one that I think about all the time. And it's, and I have a really simple answer for that problem solving skills. And you just said it yourself, the things that you learn in school, you step back later and you say, why do I even need to know that stuff? It's because it's the difference. The, the key word here is applied knowledge. I learn stuff in school, but if I don't apply it to anything, right? I know some really brilliant people that have never achieved anything in their life because they don't apply any of their knowledge or skills. So how do you apply what you learn in school? You apply it by solving some, picking some real problem in the world around you and going out and attacking it. So what, what, you know, what I think we need in schools is problem solving skills. Um, uh, you know, telling kids, asking kids in class in, at a school, say, identify some problem right here on the grounds of our school and then tell us how you're going to solve it. But it's real world problem solving where I apply the knowledge I just learned in class. That's what's lacking in schools. You, what we learn is how to memorize, right? The end game is a test. The test shows that I memorize the answers, right? But did I, could I use the knowledge and to apply it in any way to solve a real problem in the world? Because if not, what was the point of learning it all if I didn't make anything in the world better? Okay, you just got my wheels going in, in many different directions. 
I'm trying to figure out the most effective way to spread. If we came up with a problem solving game, I don't think it's partnering with schools, maybe digital videos that they would watch with exercises that they could do on their own. If you were in my shoes, knowing everything that you know, how would you go about spreading that to as many people as possible? So I think you're exactly right. It's a, it's the gamification layer because that's what they respond to. Uh, and it's already been proven that even if it's educational, if it's gamified, you can get them interested. If they feel like they're making progress and moving forward and can share it with their friends. So I think you're right on is to think about ways to gamify this problem solving process, uh, you know, at, at a school level so that it's fun the difference is I'm not solving an imaginary problem of finding a diamond in a mind in some you know virtual world. I'm actually solving some real problem in the world by having to think it through. If you think about even games like Minecraft, the good part about Minecraft is they have to use tools. They have to build stuff. You have to know what every tool does and how to use it and how to build stuff. And, and you know, they're actually learning something. Again, that's a virtual one. They're not solving a real problem. But if you watch a kid play Minecraft, they actually have to think and solve problems to do it. How do you build a bridge? Geez, I need to go get some wood. What else do we need? We need some hammers, some nails, all that equipment. They have to think their way through it. So that's the step in the right direction. But for you guys, I would think it's it's gamifying the problem-solving process so that it's fun and engaging for young people. To wrap this up, I want people to hear this from you. You shared it with me when you said you felt obligated to mentor the next generation of entrepreneurs. And the number one limiting belief that people have when I encourage them to upgrade their five, not just with the people that they think they can reach out to, but the Jeff Hoffmans of the world. Just like how after I saw you speak on stage earlier this year and I chased you down in the hallway, what do you say to those people to help them understand that guys on your level want help? Well, first of all, you said it exactly right, Jeff, like the same way that I met is that a lot of times people, I always call this the prettiest girl at the dance syndrome. And here's why. When I was in high school, my best friend was the girl that got voted best looking at our high school every year. In fact, she wound up, I grew up in Arizona, she wound up being Miss Arizona in the Miss America pageant. And Fridays would come along and she'd say, hey, can you take me to the dance? I'd say, wait, the prettiest girl at the school, you must have 20 dates. She said, I have zero dates because everybody assumes that I must have had everybody else ask me out so no one ever calls me. The same thing happens a lot of times with somebody that you'd say, wow, I'd love to, that person's kind of a role model that I'd love to talk to. And you think probably everybody else has called them already. So a lot of times people rule out the possibility. And there, there, are, uh, there are cases where somebody that, somebody connected with somebody they thought they'd never connect to just by asking, right? So, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. If you don't give it a shot, it doesn't happen. And you'd be amazed that when you assume everybody already asked the prettiest girl out, it turns out nobody did because everybody thought that way. So people need to reach out. If there's somebody out there that you think would be a valuable mentor for you, somebody you want to know, guess what? The quality of their life is meeting interesting people too. And if they've made a commitment to giving back, they're hoping that they can find somebody out there to help. So a lot of times people look at more high-profile individuals and say, I could never get to them. And the truth is you didn't even try. A lot of times they respond, they say, wow, thank you for even sending me that message. So you got to reach out. you got to take those shots. And those are people that want to give back. They want to help. And they want to meet interesting people too. What's a way that someone in the mentee role can add value to someone in the mentor role? Um, you know, there's two ways. Uh, one is learning is both directions, right? So that's one piece of it is that 
it, you know, when I go out, uh, I go to conferences to speak at conferences, but I learn by talking to people the whole time, right? So it, learning is always a two-way street, mentor and mentee, both give and take. Um, I, I think that's one thing. And then the other thing is just by being successful, right? Lead a good life. The coolest thing for me is when somebody sends me a message and says, you just inspired me or you helped me make a decision or you crystallize something in my mind that I wasn't sure of. Um, when, when somebody lets me know that something I did had a positive impact on their path in life, that's meaningful to me. Uh, that is what I get up for every morning now. So you can give back by simply succeeding, achieving whatever your dreams are, going out and making a difference and then telling that person, part of the way I got to the place I got was, was for your help or your inspiration. That means a lot to everybody. Awesome. Well, if people want to find you on social media, how can they find you and, and how can they support you? Um, my Twitter handle is Speaker Jeff, uh, and probably LinkedIn is the easiest <laughs> to find me there. Awesome. Thanks so much for the time, Jeff. I, I enjoyed hanging with you. Thank you very much. All right, Jeff Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Jeff, if you're listening to this, man, thank you again so much. I'm just so grateful that we connected earlier this year and I just I just look forward to continuing to build the relationship. You're an awesome guy and I want to thank you for all that you're doing for the aspiring entrepreneurs out there. You're making a huge difference. So thank you. As I look back over the last year, it, the things, the growth that I have experienced blow my mind and I just know what is possible for you in the next year to come when you start taking action. And I just want to be able to play a small role in that development. So thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you to those of you who have already subscribed. And if you have not subscribed yet, please click the subscribe button. Let's make this thing official. Take a screenshot after it. Email it to contest at theonething.com. And we will get you a free digital copy of The One Thing book. So with that, thank you so much all. Next week, you're going to hear a call that I had with someone just like you. Someone who came out of the audience, started taking action on this and saw their life completely change. And now they have become a mentor in one of our private communities. And we are going to talk about what we have learned from close to 800 people just like you who have started time blocking. See you next week.